What is up, everybody? I am your host, Kyle Pagan. Welcome back to another Crossing broadcast today. It's a great day. It's a cold day, but it's a great day. Jalen Hurts signs a mega deal. How he performs cap, cap antics that no one has ever seen in the history of the NFL. Sixers win. It was ugly, but a win is a win is a win. And we got Bill Algio, MMA fighter, straight out of Delco, straight off a big second round submission win in Kansas City. And in the uh, post-fight interview, he became now the new mayor of Kansas City when he trashed the entire city. So he'll be on at 1230. We'll talk to him. But first, I want to talk to my guy, Kevin Kincaid. I want to talk about this Jalen Hurts deal, $255 million extension, five years, 179 mil guaranteed. The first ever no trade clause in Philadelphia Eagles history. Think of all those great players we've had in this franchise. McNabb, Dawkins, no trade clauses ever. Mike Vick, Bobby Hoyan, Jalen Hurts. Rodney Pete. Yeah, Ronnie Pete, Jimmy no Cannon. trade, no trade clauses for them. And yeah. Jalen Hurts, it's the first no trade clause in the history of the franchise. It's awesome. I mean, what a you know, not only just everything that Jalen Hurts has overcome. I mean, not even talking about like Alabama and college and stuff, but talking about how he got drafted in the second round. I wouldn't say Eagles fans didn't want them, but they were kind of like, "Hey, we just paid this franchise quarterback. Do you mind getting a weapon for him or something like that?" To then yeah. taking over for him after they go four and twelve, he comes in, wins, goes nine and seven, looks pretty bad in the playoff uh, loss against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and then he completely turns it around. How he goes out and revitalizes the offense, he's second in MVP, takes him to the Super Bowl. He's the most beloved guy right now in the city of Philadelphia, and now he's signing the richest deal from a player in NFL history. I mean, that is, is that Disney movie shit right there? Yeah, it's a great story, man. And, you know, the agent sliding into his DMs in college, asking him if he hadn't had an agent yet <laughs> as, as a person who wasn't very established, you know, and now she's running the uh, entire football wing of, uh, of, of clutch. Yeah. You know? I mean, talk, talk about it on both sides, you know, but no, I mean, my first reaction was, well, number one, happy that they got it done first uh, yeah I, I don't think that anybody i don't think that anybody thought that they were going to drag it out because the eagles don't do that and they try to get out in front and they try to do these big deals before the market kind of resets or sets itself however you want it whatever phrase you want to use there you know before joe burrow could be paid before the lamar jackson thing resolved mm -hmm. and before justin justin herbert you know so they kind of get out in front of these things and they set the market themselves and take care of their guys. And I think the players have always liked that. It's always helped um, avoid disputes and discrepancies and, and situations that you don't want, you know? So they always have been, been good with, with those kinds of things. They're going to get it done. They're going to take care of him. And he does. I mean, he deserves every dollar of it, right? You know, he was an MVP candidate this year. He would have been Super Bowl MVP if they had pulled that off. So, um, I mean, he's proven pretty much everybody wrong. And, I, I mean, he's a perfect fit for the city. I mean, what what more really could you ask from the guy in terms of character and leadership and behind-the-scenes kind of stuff? To me, it was a slam dunk no-brainer to the point where, like, I didn't really have anything to write about it. You know, I'm sure WIP probably talked about it all day long, but there wasn't the, – the, the 
giving him the extension was the no-brainer. There wasn't much to talk mm-hmm. about there, but the fact that you know there's like 179 million guaranteed, and then the breakdown of how the cap hit was going to work out was probably the biggest takeaway, I guess. Um, yeah, that's insane. I don't know how half that worked. Craig, put that back up. Um, so the salary cap numbers for the next four seasons, yeah. Jalen Hurts is 2023 because he's still in his rookie deal, 6.15 mil. Mm. 2024, 13.56. 2025, 21.77. 2026, 31.77 million. I mean, this is just how, – how is nobody else doing this? How is nobody doing what Howie is doing? I just feel like these are insane numbers. Well, I that, guess they just don't want to – yeah, you know, it's. I mean, it's funny because when the – Eagles announced it on Twitter. I guess they were calling it like a contract extension, right? So mm-hmm. that 2023 wraps up the final year of his rookie deal. And then they kind of backload the the money so that you're not getting killed up front, which is a smart way to do it. You know, of course, you know, knowing Howie, there's probably dead cap off the back end and void years and all kinds of bullshit that nobody ever really can explain other than understanding from a very basic standpoint that they're going to just – boot it down the road and eat some of the dead cap when these guys are long gone, you know? So yeah, 2027 might be an insane cap number. Yeah. But we could be dead by 2027. And if we have a Super Bowl, maybe even two Super Bowls, yeah. it's it's perfectly fine to be, to, uh, to have whatever cap it might be then. Well, that structure really helps. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're, they're always going to be, you have to think of it as the Eagles perpetually keeping like a, so here's a tweet that, uh, Craig pulled up from Paul uh, Hemkiti's cap numbers in, in the 2023 to 2026 seasons. Uh, Deshaun Watson, 211 million. Russell Wilson, 171 million. Matt Stafford, 170. Daniel Jones, 162. Derek Carr, 144. Jalen Hurts, 73 million. <laughs> Which is crazy. But again, you know, then the cat, so like the flip side to all this, because everybody always says, like, Howie, 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 he did it again. He's okay. Well, how does he do it? He just is. So the, the wizardry is just kicking it off the to the back end, you know, so that when Jalen Hurts is gone, you're still going to be paying for him. So as long as you manage that dead cap and you're not getting killed, then it's it's fine, you know. So it just basically spaces things out better so that you can build a better roster and you can be more competitive in the in the in the near term, you know. So it's not it's not like he's finding some amazing like it's not like he's doing something that nobody else knows how to do. I think that other franchises might be unwilling to do it. Um you know, and kick the can down the road and eat that dead cap money later. But I mean, the Eagles have shown that as competitive as they've been over the last like six, seven year stretch, um, that it works for them. And it does make you wonder why other teams don't do it, considering the success that the Eagles have had, you know? Yeah. And they, and they have a lot of guys locked up through 2025. And this cap was awesome because now they have a, a two year window, a three year window to go for it. And that's why yeah. I'm kind of thinking about this. And we, and we talked about it on Thursday. Is Bijan Robinson more in play now? Because if you think about it, at ten, if they stay there, you're not going to want to get a guy like a like a Cam Jurgens, where you you get a top ten offensive lineman and he's sitting behind, you know, Kelsey or Cam Jurgens or you know or someone else or Lane Johnson. Mm-hmm. You kind of need a guy who's going to play right away. So is that a Jalen Carter? I don't think Jalen Carter's going to fall that far. I think he was going to, if, if that news came out about his whole road rage incident or everything that happened, didn't if it came out closer to the draft instead of the combine, maybe he falls, but it feels like there's so much time in between those reports and everything. And I know all the NFL teams are 
they they know what's going on in Athens. They they have people and sources in in, in the Athens Police Department. I think he probably won't be on the board there at ten. Well, it didn't happen. Look at it didn't, I know what you're saying, but it, the incident yeah. happened down in Florida. It, so. Oh, it no, it happened or, in Georgia. Or no, no, no. He, you're, you're you're talking about the okay. You, right, right, right. Yes, the incident happened there. The stuff that that Connor was talking about when he was on. Um, oh. Yeah. Earlier, he, the, the town that he's in in Florida, you know, they're talking about people who have yeah. connections cool. there and know about know about his his quote unquote off, um, you know, character oh, yeah. stuff, you know, that li- like very loosely rumored kind of shit. Yeah. yeah. So I'm thinking right now you need a player who's going to impact the game this season is going to impact the Eagles this season because yeah. you only do have two to three years to go for this. Mm. What do you think yeah. about that? Do you think, I mean, it could be B. John Robinson at 10, but it could also be a trade back, maybe get a you know, a defensive lineman, a couple picks for next year, get a tackle, get another weapon, get a cornerback. You know, what do you think about that? Do you think B. John Robinson might be more in play now that uh, they're going to kind of be in win now mode for the next two, three years? You could certainly justify it by pointing to the fact that they've got a lot of uh, their offensive weapons already uh, you know, locked up. Right. And say, OK, if you're looking for posi- there's not really a position of need on the offensive side. So you can use a quote unquote luxury pick, you know, on a running back and maybe step outside of the the norm of what you do and, and do it that way. I, I could understand that. Absolutely. You know, I think it would be more likely the from a philosophical standpoint of saying like because uh, I, I would use a draft pick probably on the best like in like defensive lineman that's available at that point because Fletcher Cox ain't getting any younger and you lost Hargrave and Brandon Graham's not getting any younger and you really need to kind of replenish along there. But uh, you're going to say, shit, you know, and we're just going to try to outscore the Chiefs if we've run into them in the Super Bowl again. Then Bijan Robinson for, for sure, you know. But to me, it's always the take has not been about Bijan Robinson. It's, it's not about him as a player. It's about the position. Mm-hmm. And the value of the position, so it's not an anti. I, I, I'm not saying like don't draft Bijan Robinson because he's not a good player; he's an amazing player. But you look at like the marginal increases that you get out of running, running out of the running back position. Where look, I mean, like Derrick Henry and uh, Nick Chubb and all these guys, like they were all second round draft picks too. True. So you know, Josh Jacobs was a first rounder, but he wasn't a top ten guy. So I, I don't. It, it's less. It's less about like Bijan Robinson itself, and more of like where you can find value with with running backs in the draft. But if you don't have a, if you feel if you're the Eagles and you don't and you don't feel like you have a spot that absolutely like needs to be addressed at that point, and you don't like any of the defensive players that are on the board at ten, then okay, I can understand it from that. Standpoint. I love your point about just outscoring the uh, outscoring the Chiefs because it could you could you could insert Bills, you could insert Bengals in there as well. Yeah. You can insert dolphins if the dolphins come back and and and, and two is healthy. Yeah, you just like, say fuck it. Like I just you know, let's not rebuild the defense. Let's just try to get by and yeah, like the greatest make, show. Try on, to make this like this. Yeah, just try to rebuild like the greatest show on turf or something. I, I don't know. Yeah, greatest show on Tahoma Thirty One is what we're gonna call it. Yeah, the greatest show on uh, Tahoma Thirty One, right? Yeah, because uh, you can't trust the NFL field people either. I mean, who's to say you you get back to the Super Bowl and you don't run into the same field issues anyway? So maybe you just got to outscore them. You know, I mean, it would be a crazy offense, but again, it's like, I, I don't, I, I, this is my thing. When I wrote that story, it was like, they have 80% of the offensive line coming back. They got Dallas Goddard coming back. They got Devonte Smith coming back. They got AJ Brown coming back. They got Jalen Hurts coming back. So, so what, what, what does adding B. John Robinson do for you? Do you go from, cause that's already an elite offense. Mm-hmm. So you go, you go from 
elite to super elite? What is the next step up from elite? I mean, like, super elite's elite. pretty cool. Super elite, yeah. Do you ever like you ever go to the gas station and you're like regular and then you're like premium? Like I never get premium, but I've always thought about like, hey, that'd be pretty cool. Does my car yeah. like just run faster? Does it run better? Yeah. Like, what's going on with this premium shit? But you don't get premium because you've always got regular unleaded and there's never been a problem with it. Right. So it's like what what incentive to, what is the marginal value increase of me getting a different kind of. But if I don't have to go to the mechanic because my gas is just running like a finely tuned machine like the Philadelphia Eagles did uh, Dijon Robinson, then it's kind of uh, like, hey, you know, I might pay 40, 50 cents more, but I might be saving some costs at the mechanic. Well, I've never driven a car that's worthy enough of having anything more than regular unleaded put into it. You know, I mean, I drove a shitty Ford Ranger for 10 years. Now I drive a Nissan Frontier. So it's not like I'm like rolling around in a uh, Maserati or something like that. But I, I, that was just my argument. It was like, what, what is the value increase that you get from from adding Bijan Robs? Is, is, is going from elite to super elite like negligible or is that a significant jump? I, I don't. I'm not really sure, you know, whereas I think if like Jalen Carter's there at 10, I would absolutely take Jalen Carter at 10. Um, Maybe we got to start a bad rumor about Jalen Carter. Like he's a, he's a cat guy. <laughs> Didn't like, the, like a Laramie Tunsil, like drop a picture yeah. of him in like a smoke, like a gas mask, smoking a bong or something. Yeah, he claps when the, when the plane lands. It's one of those guys. You don't want that guy on your team. You guy can't be uh, the anchor uh, of your defensive line. He's just clapping when the plane lands. Even worse when the uh, than the guy who claps when the plane lands is the dude who stands up immediately when the plane lands. <laughs> oh. you know, knowing that you can't get the fuck out of the thing until oh. like, for another twenty minutes because everybody's got to file out one by one. You know, I got to fly with the kids. I'm flying to Florida on Friday with the with the little girls. You know, so we're gonna try to uh, you know probably run into those people on the way down. But if they spill popcorn, will you pick it up? Yeah, you know, I saw that I saw the controversy on, on on Twitter. I didn't write about it for the website, but I here's what I would say: when our kids like spill shit, I try to like like within reason try to clean yeah. it up. Like if my kid knocks a couple crumbs on the floor at the restaurant, I'm not asking. I'm not pulling a vacuum cleaner out of my like bag to clean it up. But if she knocks over like a a corn dog or something, yes, I'm going to pick up the corn dog off. Yeah. The floor. I'm not going to leave like a huge mess there. You know, I will try. I will try to clean it up within reason, but. A hundred percent. Also, there's like plane plane crews do have people that come on and clean after. Yeah. So I kind of agree with that in a way where it's like you kind of just leave it there. But it's also you have a five year old. I think you're five. I think what, at five years old, I don't have children, so I can't really get in the mind of a five year old. But I know a six year old and they seem to be pretty with it. Um, can can five year olds not pick up popcorn? I mean, that's, I just feel like that's what my that's what my uh, argument would be that like, hey, you drop that popcorn. You know, I'm five months pregnant. Can you just help mommy pick up the popcorn? And I think it kind of just it nips it in the bud right there. I mean, that was that was wild. That was just an entitled, entitled pitcher, which is hilarious because he's like the United Airlines. They have a job. And someone tweets back, well, you have a job, too. And you have like a seven point three eight ERA this year. And they pay you for that job. Yeah. That guy was just getting roasted. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We, if it's within reason, like, yeah, we'll try it because we, we don't want to be those embarrassing, like, you know, people yeah. leave a bunch of shit everywhere. I mean, because it's not just like your kids. It reflects, like, poorly on you as a as a parent, too. Right? So Craig's pulling the tweet up now. The flight attendant at United just made my 22-week pregnant wife traveling with a 5-year-old and a 2-year-old get on her hands and knees to pick up the popcorn mess by my youngest daughter. Are you kidding me? Are you are people really getting on their hands and knees of a dirty airplane? I doubt that. 
Yeah, but see, like, look at all those like big pieces of popcorn down there. I would try to just like take two seconds to grab a handful of that shit and throw it out. Like, hey, flight attendant, come in. They come over with a bag like five times during the flight. Hey, you got any more trash? Yeah, hold that bag up. I'm gonna grab as much popcorn as I can. I'll throw it in there, but I'm not gonna like get out the shark ion flex and start vacuuming the, <laughs> the underneath the seat here, right? Like, like, like it kind of like implied, like, help me help you. You know, I got like two kids I'm wrangling here. You know, I'm, I'll try to help you out. I'm not, we're not going to be like gross and disgusting, but uh, she missed a spot too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, one more thing on Jalen Hurts. You think he's going to do, uh, you think he's going to keep saving money this way? I don't know if you saw this. So, Jalen Hurts, he uh, talked to GQ like when he first signed his deal, he wasn't making that much money, obviously. So, they were talking about money saving tips and whatnot. So, he said, buy a used car or lease car, cook at home, take meals home, switch to an affordable <laughs> phone plan, hire a local kid to cut your lawn. You think, do you think uh, Jalen Hurts is still on like, Boost Mobile. Well, well, let me ask, ask you a question about the last one first. How does hiring a local kid to cut your lawn save you money? Why would better you than a landscaper? Your- Those landscapers will charge you out the ass. I rather I rather pay a kid forty fifty dollars to cut my acre and a half of a lawn. Is that that's well? Enough, wouldn't right? you just mow your own lawn? I mean, what you think Jalen Hurts is mowing his own lawn? Well, I mean, is this are these money saving tips for athletes or for like all of us? Well, I think it's for Jalen Hurts as well as the normal person, but I think Jalen Hurts follows these. He's a big – he takes his uh, meals home for the Novacare Complex. I don't know what he drives, but it could be leased or used. And then if he – I don't know where he even – I thought he lived in Philly, but maybe he lives in Morristown like all the other Eagles players do. I would – I would, but then again, it's like he's probably living in like a gated community or a pretty ritzy community. Is he getting those kind of kids who probably have trust funds – and very rich parents, it'll be a little harder to find a local kid to mow your lawn, if you ask me. Yeah, Every, I, let me tell you, I have a thing about mowing your own lawn. I think it's kind of, I think it's a little bit of, uh, um, I think it's a little Therapeutic. wussy. I think it's a little, no, I think ah. it's a little wussy when people pay other people to do their lawn. Um, if you're, you're like, like quarterback. No, 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 of course. We don't want Jalen Hurts, you know, ruining his leg trying to trying to cut Jalen Hurts weed whack and he's out he's doubtful for Sunday because he hit himself in the ankle with a weed whacker. He ran over his foot with a John Deere or something like that. No, but like I'm 38 and I'm not gonna like pay somebody else to come. Like I'm an able bodied human being. I'm not gonna pay somebody else to come mow my lawn. I see like my my neighbors have like the uh the guys come out and they do like 10 lawns at a time. They do the whole neighborhood. I'm not going to pay somebody else to fuck. You think your neighbor's a pussy? My neighbors are also 65 years old. So I understand. They're, <laughs> okay, not, come they're, on. Not, yeah, they're allowed to do it. I don't, yeah. Here we go. This is a tweet from uh, anybody got a battery powered lawn. This is from Kevin. Yeah. Anyone got a battery powered lawnmower? They like yard is kind of sloped. So yeah. looking for something a little lighter and a little more maneuverable. Yeah, I got a cobalt now. I got a cobalt battery-powered mower. I haven't used a lick of gasoline to mow my lawn in two years. I haven't paid any motherfucker a single dollar to do it. Like, I do my own lawn, not not paying the uh, Latino guys to come around and, and do it for me. I'm going to do it myself, you know? You so, have an electric-powered lawnmower? Yeah, I don't have any gasoline on any of my yard stuff at all. Everything is battery-powered. You lib. <laughs> no, no, it's not. A, it's not a. Sorry, it's not a lib thing. It's like a libertarian thing, actually. I think you know, energy independence. But then people always are like, well, where do the batteries come from, and how do you dispose of them? I'm like, I don't know. And they see some fake news picture of like a cobalt mines. Kids are getting their hands chopped off. Like a lithium strip mine in like uh, yeah, Turkmenistan or some shit. I don't know. 
I was told, you know, uh, carbon emissions are bad. So I got the battery powered shit instead. Damn, a lot has changed since I was cutting grass at like 11 years old, 12 years old. That was my big thing. I was a, I was landscape at all. I was like in college and stuff or until I became a stock boy at stables. I couldn't handle anymore. I couldn't handle the 90 degree weather. And the guy who uh, my boss just yelling at me the whole time because I was the shittiest uh, weed whacker in all the land. <laughs> <laughs> I would torch. Uh, I would go to a retirement community and I would torch your lawn. I would I would cut it I would weed whack it down to the yellow. It was bad. I was terrible. But yeah. you know what? It was a great summer job. Well, no, it wasn't. It wasn't a great summer job. But you put your headphones in, you wear up a sweat a little bit. But man, did it suck? But I I, I was all gas powered back then. I'm, I'm yeah. We didn't have any electric about. shit. I worked on a golf course. I worked on a golf course in Gilbertsville. My best summer ever home from college was that the guy who usually mowed the like the greens and the approaches. Um, he got thrown in jail that hmm. year i don't know why i didn't really ask his name was mark um mark got thrown in jail for something so they're like so i'm like some 19 year old kid and they're like kevin you want to jump on the john deere and do the do the approaches or whatever so i had this job like three days a week i would just sit on this like john deere triplex for like four hours listening to stone temple pilots or whatever just mowing on the thing you know well my friends had to do all the manual like raking and raking of bunkers and all the the grunt work we used to give my friend a ton of shit because like he's a doctor now and he makes good money but his college job was like pulling rocks out of bunkers. So like, he gave you like a, like a like sieve looking thing. You got to like shove it in the sand and then you pick it up and you, and you like get the sort of the rocks out of there or whatever. It's like the biggest like bitch work. Well, now he pulls kidney stones out of people. So he's probably gonna go right. <laughs> and now he's like, now he's like saving lives and uh, yeah. fixing collapsed lungs. And uh, you know, it wasn't long ago that he was pulling rocks out of bunkers in Gilbertsville. So it's funny how life, uh, life changes, you know? You got any thoughts on the Sixers? Um, I do. I have plenty if, of thoughts on the Sixers. I, my first thought on the Sixers is if you watch the Kings-Warriors game after the Sixers game, you know how much juice is in that series and how <laughs> little of juice is in this series. Holy yeah. shit. I didn't get to catch uh, Saturday's game, um, game one against uh, uh, the Warriors and, and Kings. Yeah. It was crazy. Last night was crazy. Jerry Green stepping on people and everything. But, uh, but Sixers win. Um, couldn't have done it without the come on guys legendary speech by Doc Rivers really pumped up the fan base really pumped up uh, the Sixers supposedly he did drop a little bit of uh, mother F's and, and all that stuff so um, but yeah so Sixers win first thoughts yeah it just um, well here why don't we listen to Craig play the um, play the audio of the the come on guys yeah, here's the come on guys speech a legendary speech by Doc legendary, Rivers they're very inspirational Listen, we, it's up to y'all what y'all want to do. I mean, look, we got to trust. Come on. Tell us what we got to get motion and movement. Come on. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, but you know, he's, he's just like, Come on, guys. He doesn't have to. Come on. <laughs> But listen, he doesn't have to say anything more than that because it's like, um, it's implied, right? Like, come on, just means like, hey, you're playing like shit. Are you ready to show up and play? Yeah, you know, so there was a lot of, you know, left unsaid there that was easily, very easily discerned, you know, what he was talking about. But uh, my biggest takeaway was that they didn't play very well in the first half and they still covered the 10 point spread, you know. Yeah. So, and uh, Brooklyn is just outgunned, out man. They just don't have enough horses to, uh, to keep up with them. You know, Cam Johnson is on fire in the first half, and then they play a little bit of zone in the second half and he goes cold. I mean, who's going to pick up the, the slack for that? Mikel Bridges? Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie. I mean, they, they just don't have enough. They're not going to have enough firepower to uh, 
to uh, to keep up with the Sixers in this series. But also, too, I mean, Embiid, you know, coughing the ball up. He, he had eight turnovers in the box score. A couple of them are like bullshit ones where I think like Johnson. There's like two at the end that were like pretty. That were like nothing. Yeah, he threw seven assists in that game. And he only shot 11 field goal attempts or 11 field goals and only got to the line eight times. But he's he's just playing playing well within the framework of what the Nets are giving him. You know, so they mix it up, they blitz him, they try or they they trap him, they double him. Um, you know, they uh try they tried a little bit of Claxton and Royce O'Neal, uh, you know, guarding him straight up. You know, they played uh they played super small at, at times and just tried to stretch him out and move him around a little bit. So whatever they did. I mean, they're throwing like the kitchen sink at him in terms of like different different ways, but you know he's he's handling it pretty well and he's passing out the double teams pretty well and his vision's been pretty good. So I wasn't surprised. You know, they set the over under on assists for Embiid at uh, three and a half in game one and game two, and of course I bet it in game one and didn't hit, and then I pussied out of it in game two and it did hit. That's how it happens. Typically, what happens when you yeah. gamble? But uh, yeah, I, th- I thought it would be that kind of series for Embiid, like a assist kind of series you know i mean it's a far cry from the guy we watched like six or seven years ago trying to trying to navigate doubles it's funny you say that i, I really thought it was going to be like a, a, a joel and b takeover game because once nick claxton goes out like you're saying man when they go small you know they don't have a guy over like six nine i thought it was mm-hmm. going to be joel and b taking it over obviously he's getting double teamed and whatnot i'm more worried about you know james harden hasn't had a free throw the entire, the entire series, series. yeah and I feel like he's just he's looking for that and everything. And I'm wondering what the what the rest are going to do. Are they going to, you know, are they going to do the Harden rules? Are they not going to give him it and everything? He, he had a uh, he had 23 points in game one, obviously mostly on threes, but he's he's been having trouble finishing at the rim. He's not getting his calls and stuff. That that kind of worries me for uh, next round against Boston. Yeah, well, I mean, they've got enough between Maxi and Harris and Embiid, um, where Paul you know, Reed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where you know if if uh, Harden's not scoring, then it's okay. I mean, he's still able to to pull it out and facilitate and kind of quarterback the offense. That's the difference between him and Ben Simmons too. Is that if Ben Simmons wasn't hitting anything, he'd just go hide in the dunker spot and then nothing, you know. And I mean, like if they were doing this to Embiid with when Ben Simmons was on the floor too, I mean, you can't hide Ben anywhere other than under the rim. So you know, some of those plays where Embiid was catching like above the nail or like high elbow extended or whatever. You know, PJ Tucker and Tobias Harris kind of like alternating back and forth in the dunker spot, kind of setting a flex screen for the other guy. The other guy pops out in the corner. I mean, they they were abusing the corners, mm-hmm. especially in the second half last night, where Embiid because they're they're throwing the ball to Embiid in a spot that basically splits the floor in half. You know, so he doesn't have the, the distance to go to the weak side corner, the strong side corner is almost like the same pass for him. Yeah, you know, so it's basically like opening both sides of the floor and he just has to turn and pick if they send the guy the guy from the weak side he just turns and outlets to that corner if not he can throw the cross court pass to the other corner so he just had good vision and he's just he's just reading it and uh, just like a far cry from the guy that we watched um you know struggle with like you know toronto doubles and and traps not not that long ago so this series is like over i mean i don't think anybody oh yeah to be competitive, but I, I, you know, they didn't play particularly well last night and they still won by 12. So, I mean, they might drop one in Brooklyn like Saturday just because, you know, they're just, they didn't show up. But I mean, it, it did worry me a little bit how much they lollygagged coming out of the uh, beginning of the game. They just mm-hmm. looked like they were just kind of lost and everything. And that's the kind of yeah. difference between Jacques Vaughn, who seems like he gets his guys going. Maybe they all play an underdogs, you know, an underdog uh, opportunity and whatnot. 
I think it's the difference between him and, and Doc Rivers. I, I just don't know how Doc cannot inspire these guys. It's just, hey, we got to go out there and just step on their throats immediately and then coast the rest of the game. I mean, it, it's, I don't think they're going to like show up against Boston and just be like lollygagging through the whole game. But it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's so uninspiring basketball when it starts like that. It's just like, can you just step on some, guy, some guys' throats? You know, well, yeah, because you know, because you know that they're good enough, right? I mean, I guess the thought in everybody's mind was like, well, you can get away with this against the Nets, but can you? You're probably not going to get away with it. Um, you against the Celtics in round two. I just kept thinking to myself last night when that game went to halftime. I'm like, wow, they played like dog shit. Yeah, I yeah. kept looking at the score and I'm like, oh, it's only a five point game. Right? I know they're only down five. Yeah, it didn't feel like a five point game at that at that moment, you know. So that that I thought was interesting. You know, they kind of kept it close, but. uh yeah, I just, I mean, I think the series is kind of playing out the way that we thought it was going to play out. Brooklyn just doesn't have the horses to to keep up with the, with the Sixers, and uh, especially from a scoring perspective, because they can throw whatever they want to throw at Embiid um, defensively. But there's the Sixers got enough weapons that they're going to going to punish them. And once the three pointers start falling in the second half, um, you know that was that was pretty much all she wrote. You know, yeah. Shout out to Tyrese Maxey. I mean, sh- I knew a couple guys with uh, PJ Tucker. Yeah. Over half three pointers. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he went like over oh, four or something. He got like three off the bat. He got like three in the first, second quarter. People, he made people sweat it out. I mean, that I guy. Know. We need a t- we need a PJ Tucker game. We just need one game where PJ just has sixteen points, and it's all it's yeah. just like four for five. Yeah, from three. Well, they've kind of swapped. It. Yeah, it's interesting because they kind of swapped him out from the dunker spot to the corner. Now they've had Harris playing more like under the basket, which has uh, given Tucker some more open looks in the in the corner. And uh, that's an interesting wrinkle to kind of keep an eye on, you know, as the uh, – yeah, this this is the one I clipped last night, the most P.J. Tucker sequence ever. He screens for hard, and there's the switch. Throw it into Embiid at the high nail. Here's the weak side. Uh, double, Tucker sets a flex screen for the open three, gets the offensive rebound. There's another open three. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, goes screens, goes back to the dunker spot. Then sets the flex. Yeah, you know, so it's like yeah, it's like the little stuff that you I mean, that's what they got him got him for was to do that kind of stuff. Those little things that don't show up on the, the statue other than the offensive rebound there, but something to keep an eye on, you know. What do you think of what do you think of Paul Reed minutes? I think Doc actually trusts Paul Reed. Putting him in at like 13 seconds left to go in the uh in the first yeah. half. He locks up Spencer Dinwiddie, secures a block at the end of the uh end of the half. Doc's yeah. high five at him. Smile. Yeah, he had a key, and he had a key offensive rebound in there too. Because I think at that point in the game, Embiid went out, and and uh, the Sixers were up five. And when he came back on, they were still up five. So that's always that's been like topic number one of the playoffs for uh, the last like two or three seasons now, right? It's just like not losing the the Embiid, not even winning the the non Embiid minutes, but just not losing the non Embiid minutes. I mean, you remember how much Greg? Do, do you remember off the top of your head how many minutes Greg Monroe played in? Uh, Game seven of Toronto. Too many. Two. He, play, he played two minutes, yeah, too, which was too, too, many. too many. Yeah. And then they played like James Ennis like 11 minutes, and they played Mike Scott like 14 minutes in that game. I know that was a game seven, so it's whatever. But again, it was like you were seeing these crazy plus-minus swells when uh, you know Embiid was on and on and off the floor. So that just – for them – I know it's just the Nets, but for them to, for them to be able to, uh, to just hold serve on those is going to be – it's going to be huge, you know. If they, they they don't have to do anything crazy, just let Paul Reed be his be himself and make energy plays and 
talk about himself in the third person and uh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah what do we think about it is he is he allowed to talk about himself in the third person or is that is he not big enough for that yet? paul reed is allowed to do whatever he wants to do paul reed can do it. if he keeps giving the yeah. the, the five <laughs> ten eleven minutes stretches where he's yeah. getting rebounds he's dunking he's blocking guys he can do whatever the hell he do because that's what paul reed do that's why that's what paul reed do okay yeah well our next guest is ready he says his wi-fi is spotty um so all right yeah it goes the philly captain was on like dropped like two and three times so we'll see we'll see how this goes ain't the first time ain't the last time the spotty (laughs) wi-fi let's bring on mma fighter straight out of booth win straight out of delco still has the cut on the nose from a victory on saturday second round submission of tj brown but the most important thing he did was he delivered one of the speeches for the ages what do you have against Kansas City? Oh man, where to begin? <laughs> <laughs> um, the town itself was like it kind of sells you on being like a small town city, and it's open, it's kind of nice, and then you realize like, no, nah, this is just like a smaller version of Philly as far as crime and and shitty stuff that happens. But uh, yeah, I just don't like those those people that town. We're talking with Bill Algio, uh, MMA fighter, big win at UFC Kansas City. Now I want to read the quote. Now I didn't know if you were if you were going to expect to retire or you, this was always just a uh, a little kefab right here. But the quote was awesome. He was uh, he, he he takes the mic from DC. He goes, "I would never retire in a dump like Kansas City." I look around here and all I see is a bunch of Crocs wearing, Uber Eats driving, Bud Light drinking, Dalai Lama licking sons of guns. <laughs> I'm surprised you were able to stay with all these current events, you being training for camp and everything. Yeah, you know, I stay uh, stay topical. <laughs> I left out hair sniffing. Now I, I didn't make the cut. Was there any other ones that like didn't make the cut that you're like, all right, guys, we got to workshop something? Hair announce or uh, hair sniffing, pronoun using. Hair sniffing. We had, we had quite a few that uh, didn't make the the final cut <laughs> was this on the way in the uber over to the stadium or was this in the locker room waiting for the fight like when did this all kind of come about basically you board in the airbnb with my guys and we just kind of kept talking in a uh uh rick flair voice and just kept yeah. saying "Woo!" no matter what we did <laughs> and we were just trying to make each other laugh and one up each other like oh you gotta say this you gotta say this so that we would just come up with stuff all week and it was making us crack up what was the inspiration was a, uh, behind it um just boredom <laughs> I'm sorry. What was the inspiration? Like, why why did you go after Kansas City uh, fans? I, I think I saw it was because of maybe. Well, it was obviously because of Super Bowl. Don't get me wrong, yeah, exactly. but I think you saw the the milk that they made, right? Yeah. So I mean, I wasn't like really planning on saying anything, and then uh, we had two Uber drivers that both said that. Uh, yeah, we had. Oh, you guys are from Philly? Uh, we got this thing called Eagle. Oh no! He saw the Eagle Tear thing. Is what it was. Is what he was saying. Was mm-hmm. the. Um, the the milk the flavored milk that they have. <laughs> the, yeah. oh we got him back there he is okay yeah yeah it's like I said Wi Fi spotty for whatever reason but uh, awesome. yeah so, uh, I guess that uh, everyone knows that bakery they had a nice little sale from it so I'm like okay I got I got something to say back for this <laughs> I, I just didn't understand why it took them two months to make the damn thing because we have long forgotten yeah. about the Super Bowl yeah. I, like imagine if we beat like some team we have no rivalry with and then we were making like Cincinnati Bengal uh, tears two months later i mean that would be kind of um we would all kind of roll our eyes at that i guess so oh no did we lose him again uh we got the spotty wi-fi going i'll see if we can get a phone call all right 
Bill had a uh, second round win, uh, rear naked choke uh, over TJ Brown. It was an exciting fight, man. It was like, it was uh, awesome. yeah, they were swinging, man. They weren't, um, they weren't holding back, you know. I think he got fight. I think he might have got fight of the night bonus for it. Big get fight of the night. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Bill's so Bill's got a um, got a gym in uh, King of Prussia. It's uh, right down the street from us. And um, yeah, he's been on the local. He was in the local circuit for a long time. You know, fighting like Atlantic City and and Ben Salem and and Philly and Chester and whatnot. Um, so he went to. Uh, UFC. Um, he was in uh, Cage Cage Fury, I guess, and then went to Dana White's Contender Series, and uh, ended up on the UFC roster from there. But um, yeah, he's a veteran. He's been doing it for a little while. I think he's thirty three now. So I want to say he's like seventeen and six or sixteen and seven or something like something like that. You know, he lost his first fourteen fights as he started wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know how much of a madman you have to be to lose fourteen and keep going. To, yeah, yeah. I'd quit yeah. at double digits. Yeah. Well, I guess his brother, I guess his brother was a wrestler too. So he kind of like followed in the footsteps or whatever. But yeah, he was with Penn State boxing for a while. Phone is ringing. Okay. Who is it? Hello, this is Kyle. <laughs> hey, it's, uh, it's Bill. We're back. <laughs> <laughs> what, if, what, what if it was like just some like telemarketer and I was just like, what, what the fuck do you want? <laughs> All right. I didn't even answer it. <laughs> this sound good? Yeah, yeah. Perfect. All right, cool, cool, cool. So if you can just walk us through the fight against TJ, that'd be great. Yeah, man. Um, you know, start off just trying to throw some uh, some calf kicks at him and keep my distance because I know he's going to be in, like, a boxing stance. So when you're in that kind of stance, your, your leg's a little bit more vulnerable for those kicks. But uh, I was laying it. It was getting successful. Then I got a little too uh, complacent and just like, kept going for them, and he would get in and punch me. So I'm like, all right, he's going to keep walking forward. Elbow is going to be there uh and if you see like right before i landed it my eyes like lit up because i knew he stepped forward i knew he turned right into that elbow strike it was perfect yeah yeah no it was a good fight man it was exciting um i didn't even really from the way that the broadcast was showing i couldn't even see what happened at first it looked like it was just a short hook or something because they were showing it from behind but um yeah i mean was that what was what was the strategy going into the fight uh, hit him. Don't get taken down because uh, basically he tries to go for a shitload of takedowns every fight, and that's kind of been like, oh, that's where Bill's weak. But I'm not. I can wrestle. I just choose to like kickbox, which brings you. You're a little bit more vulnerable when you're throwing punches and kicks to get taken down. But that's what the people come to see. Yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting because I was telling Kyle when you were trying to get you back on. It's you remind me a little bit. You and you and Wonder Boy kind of fight the same way a little bit as far as the kind of. Switching stances, kind yeah. of hand hands down, karate looking kind of stance, and I'm wondering like how you kind of how you kind of came to that because you come from a, I mean you got a lot of different backgrounds and you have a lot of different ways you can go, but how'd you kind of settle on that approach? Yeah, so uh, basically I, I boxed from Penn State, you know, and then from there I started kickboxing. So I've got a Muay Thai background; it's pretty much my predominant way of striking. But when you're in that Muay Thai stance, you're standing a little too tall. Uh, to begin with. So, like, when you're that tall, people can just take you down easily. So you got to figure out, like, all right, how can I still use my Muay Thai, not staying up as tall, um, keep distance? And a lot of that is just, like, old-school karate stuff, you know, keeping distance, long strikes. And so I looked at it, like, all right, who's built like me who doesn't get taken down that much and is successful with striking? And that is Wonder Boy. So I do steal a lot of his shit, and I just kind of use COVID uh, as a time to study him and, and brush up on his YouTube channel, honestly. 
When did you start training for the fight? Um, I'm really always training. Like, you know, I own the gym at King of Prussia, so I'm always doing something. It's just as it gets closer, maybe like six weeks out, we start to kind of like dial in a little bit more. Okay, Because I think it's interesting, like, well, I'm just a regular, you know, podcasting, blogging kind of guy. But like, how do you train like during an Eagles playoff run? Because like my <laughs> diet just goes off the rails. Like I'm drinking, you know, all Sunday, all yeah. weekend and stuff. And then, you know, you have a Super Bowl party. You're going to have the pigs in a blanket. You're going to have the dips at the Super Bowl party. Like, honestly, is it just a cheat just, day? You just can't be there. No, honestly, you just I just stay home, bro. Like if, I, if I'm around that, like I can't control myself. So I just have to just isolate, watch the game and just chill and go from there. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to do it. I also have my sister got married like two weeks before this wedding. That was tough. Yeah. Right there, right there in uh, Market Street, man. It was, it was hard thing. Notice some of that food. I'm, I, I, I'm sure. Um, do you? Uh, this has always interested me. Do you have to get your hands registered as as weapons? That was always like no, a, that, yeah. That's not a real thing. That's, that's not, not a real thing. thing. No, everyone, anybody who tells you that too is trying to sell you on something. Mostly the fact that they're a pussy. Well, that's what I was going to say because I was I was going to get my hands registered <laughs> as weapons so that if anyone tried to fight me at like a McGillan's or like some Delco bar, you'd be like, dude, yeah, you don't want to do this. I totally would, but I can't because of this yeah. piece of paper. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I put it on my wallet. Tough, tough <laughs> argument to sell. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Bill, when did uh, when did you start the gym and uh, what, what made you want to do it anyway? Uh, basically, I never wanted to use my accounting degree. <laughs> Just didn't want to be miserable. So uh, seven years ago, I was already the manager at the gym. And then uh, from there, I just started my own gym in the exact same spot. You were going to yeah, be the Yeah, yeah. I've got an accounting degree from Penn State. You're going to be the toughest accountant I've ever met in my life. Usually they're just like dudes who like are pencil pushers who just like, you know, wear glasses yeah. and everything. No, I mean, they're absolute psychopaths. It's just it's, it's in its own separate category. <laughs> so Bill's gym is uh, Al- Algeo MMA. I guess it's in, it's in uh, King of Prussia. It's up behind the uh, the mall. Well, I guess everything at King of Prussia is behind the mall in some direction. You know. Yeah. But, uh, like so what, yeah. Yeah. So what? So what goes on? Uh, what's what's like a day to day basis like around around the gym or like what kind of stuff do you do with uh, with uh, with pros and amateurs and the general public and what's what's the uh, the the gist of the gym for people who don't know. Um, so, I mean, it's just normal people in there. Like tonight, there's going to be like, you know, every night it's kids at like five to six and then um, adults six to seven and seven to eight kind of thing. And basically I'm, I'm lucky where I just work with like the coaches and the pros and stuff. And then I've got a lot of, uh, you know, assistant coaches who kind of pay their way by teaching some classes. So they'll take a, they'll teach the bulk of the classes for me. I still teach like one or two a week. Uh, but most of the time I'm just training like the actual trainers. Yeah, I wonder. I've always thought about coming down. I always wonder what kind of mixed martial artist I would be. I have a soccer background, though. I think I'd probably just end up doing leg kicks. I don't know if I'd even like throw a punch. That's that's what Muay Thai is all about, man. Them leg kicks. That's what we specialize in. Yeah. Hey, what did you think? Here's a very random question. What did you think of Demetrius Johnson? Speaking of Muay Thai, Demetrius Johnson fighting uh, Rod Tang in like a mixed rules bout. Was that weird? Um, it was all right. I mean, I guess they're trying to put on like the spectacles, try to get eyeballs. So I, I didn't hate it. It's just, uh, it's really easy to survive like one Muay Thai round, even though the other guy was a world champion, Rod Tang. Yeah. But it's like, all he has to do is just like run around, run around, and then just like throw some shit and just hug him. <laughs> so you can eat up like a lot of clock. Whereas the next set of rules were MMA, and the, and the other guy had no idea anything about takedowns, jujitsu, any of that stuff. So of course you got submitted like right away. Yeah. So, uh, obvious, but you know, it, they're, they're trying. I can't hate them for it. 
I think it's interesting that that kind of segues into what I wanted to ask about. Uh, it's funny because like I, I got into MMA like hardcore probably seven or eight years ago, but I was not an MMA guy growing up. But, you know, I remember when my uh, friend's dad got the first pay-per-view back in like 1993 and he was like, oh, this is going to be great. It's called Ultimate Fighting. I want to see some guy like rip his heart out of his chest. And I was like, Whoa, shit, that sounds kind of, it sounds kind of violent to me. But uh, we watched it and, you know, it's like Ken Shamrock and like Royce Gracie and all those guys. And like they, this is before like the rules were updated and like the sanctioning came, came a long way. Yeah. I think it's it's funny because I think like um, I think back then and I don't know if you agree or disagree, but I think back then like. Uh, MMA fans were really casual. They didn't know a lot about it. And so I felt like you got a lot, yeah. of, these, a lot of these people who were like, oh, I just want to like, you know, you grab some like douchebag friends and you go to the bar and you get some Heinekens. And it's like people who want to see somebody beat the shit out of another guy, you know? But um, yeah, yeah. I feel like it's I, I, like my take is that I feel like that's come a long way because I think people are more educated now. They know what they're watching. Like they understand the mix of the styles. The rules are a lot more streamlined than they used to be and that's that's yeah. just at least how i've seen it you know yeah it's much more of a sport these days um you know just uniforms and everyone kind of you know like you're right the, the crowd needs to get educated a bit but now that it has uh they know exactly what they're looking for but yeah i, I wasn't really that wasn't that attractive to me like 10 15 years ago when it first came out too like the Olympic fighter just like a bunch of like tattooed mohawk dudes like getting drunk and like punch each other. I was like, oh, that's stupid. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, I just I just kept doing it, and then I kept getting good. And I was like, oh, so when do you fight? When do you fight? And then I was like, I guess uh, soon, you know. And then just kind of I don't know, it became my identity or whatever. Um, and then I fell in love with it even more. But uh, yeah, and when it, it first came out, it was a harder sell than it is now. Yeah, yeah, it was. It really was. I mean, I think I think for me, like the biggest fight that probably like like hooked me into it was like. Uh, Remember when Conor McGregor fought Chad Mendez? I, I want to say that was down in yeah. or maybe that was in Vegas. I guess it was in Vegas. But you know, at the, at the time, I'm like, I didn't really understand the clash of styles, and I'm learning about takedown defense, and I'm learning about underhooks, and I'm learning about wrist control and all that stuff. And I just feel yeah. like there's so much more. There's just so much more to it that I don't. I don't think like the average fan would understand. And I think if you like learn MMA a little bit, you just have so much more of an appreciation for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that, and that's still going. I mean, the, the crowd is still getting educated. But you, you start to see that more and more of like uh, maybe not in Kansas City. <laughs> not at all. Not at all in Kansas you City. Know, a more educated crowd knows when to uh, when to cheer, when to boo, when, to, when they're working, when they're not. Did you see the video of the pizza delivery guy from Delco? Yeah, I just saw that this morning. I know. I mean, how about that? You were probably the most famous guy out of Delco, and then this guy 12 hours later comes around and <laughs> – and he's just, shine. yeah, he's That's stopping, right. he's stopping uh, car draggers and whatnot. I, I think he probably actually watched you though yesterday. He swept the leg a little bit. Yeah, I think he got uh, his inspiration from me. <laughs> if I had to guess. Yeah, and he's holding the pizza the whole time. The pizza doesn't even fall. My question yeah, is why right. he didn't just hand the pizza to the lady and then go oh. and tackle the guy. But uh, uh, Craig, Craig, show. I know you're on the phone now. Craig's showing it on video. Here. Schoolyard, like just foot sweep. You know, yeah, oh, that was classic. Swept the yeah. leg. Hey, 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 Bill. Um, sorry, I'll ask you, Kyle. Did you? Um, we were talking when we were trying to get you back on about just like the Philly combat sports scene. I, I think it's funny because like it's there's always been like a rich boxing history here, and you go down to Atlantic City and they've had big fights on the boardwalk down there. I know you fought around the region a lot, and uh, I think a lot of people would say that it's really there's actually a really good fight scene in these parts, but I, it never. I don't know. It's it's never going to be like you were never going to talk about MMA like the Philadelphia Eagles, right? Um, so I guess I'm just like kind of curious is what you see about like philly new jersey and their and it's it's place the sports place in this region and among you know other sports and and how it kind of um 
kind of how it lays. Yeah, I mean, maybe to like, you know, one of your uh, subscribers who's typically more Phillies, Eagles, that kind of stuff. But, you yeah. know, in our network and our, our field, like everyone's kind of talking about how Philly's up on the rise as far as all their MMA guys. I mean, we've always been, uh, Philly's always been good at throwing hands, man. We've always been good at boxing. We've always had good striking. And now we've just caught up with the rest of the wrestling because we're actually, I mean, not so much Philly, but Pennsylvania has some of the best wrestling in the entire world. Yeah. yeah. So now you got the best wrestlers coming from like Allentown, that kind of area, Lehigh Valley. All they got to do is learn some boxing and vice versa. Uh, oh, that, that's where, uh, what's his name? He's from uh, Lehigh Valley, Larry Holmes, too. Yeah. Like, they got good boxing out there, too. So um, obviously, you got good competition with Jersey, New York. So it, it's been on its rise for a little bit now. And now you're starting to see these guys who've been putting in a decade plus of work uh, start to get their shine. And it's kind of cool. Yeah, it's crazy when you look at the list of alumni to come out of like uh, Ring of Combat or Cage Fury or whatever. I mean, it's like a pipeline yeah. to, to UFC, and there's just so much, so much talent in there. But you know, it's funny because we would we would go down to you know the pay per view UFCs would come on, and we go down to like uh, like Miller's Ale House in South Philly. I'm sitting here thinking yeah. like this is just a chain. This is just an un- like an unassuming place. But like those pla- those it would be packed for the fights and. Um, yeah. There was just always a crowd for it. I just, I just found it funny how they never seemed to, you know, like Dana brought a brought a fight night to Atlantic City a couple of years ago. I think Edson Barboza fought Kevin Lee, and then there was the fight night in uh, in Philly where I think Justin Gaethje fought fought Edson. But like, you know, we don't get a ton of. I don't, I don't know. There's the underground stuff, but like for some reason, it doesn't seem to bubble up to the top. No, everyone wants to just see the UFC. I mean, obviously, there's other organizations, too, like PFLs all the time uh, in Lenox City, and uh, there's Bellator, too. But everyone just cares about the UFC because they have the the market share right now. They got the the name recognition. Yeah. You think UFC brings something to Philly in the next couple of years? I feel like Dana would love Philly. He looks like he's in Philly. I hope so. I mean, they're they're coming to Jersey uh, May 6th, I think. Okay. Yeah, that's, uh, that's in Newark. Newark, I think, right? Yeah. Newark, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, something, but uh, they'll they'll come back. Hopefully, put on a decent card this time, not just like KG Edson, but like maybe the pay per view. That'd be that'd be sick. No, that'd be yeah. awesome. Yeah, because I don't even think you know before uh, Gaethje and and Barboza fought. I don't think UFC had been to Philly since 2011. I want to say it was. Yeah, not since like Forrest Griffin, Anderson Silva. I think I forget. Yeah, it was a long time ago. I remember we were talking because uh, Eddie Alvarez was at like a Sixers game or something. I, I don't know if you know the guy who does PR for the Sixers, but he used to be the PR guy for UFC. So whenever the fighters were in town, he'd always bring them down to the Sixers game, and they would ring the bell or some shit like that. And so we're talking to yeah, Eddie, yeah. Eddie like backstage, and I think Eddie fought at the Leah Chorus Center and some other places around there. But yeah, there just there hasn't been like a. It seems like it would be a slam dunk to do another big. Like I mean, there are so many Philly fighters, you know, in the organization yeah. right now. I mean, the Dawkins brothers are there. You know, Paul Felder retired, I guess, not long ago. Caitlin Chukagian is from uh, Quakertown. Um, yeah. you, know, you and Sean Brady. I mean, it seems like there. There's no yeah. shortage of people to put on that card. You know. No, not at all. Um, the like everybody wants the UFC in their back town. Like Kansas city just made so much fucking money off of all the people that came through and you know, all the money that's been spent in the town. So they've got a long list of just domestically where they can go and, and make whatever that town a shit ton of money. So they're, they're just going to whoever's offering the, 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 the prettiest ball, I guess, you know, like whoever's giving them the most shit. Yeah. And that's just, that's just United States. I mean, they want to go all over the place. That's true. Yeah. During COVID they were out in, in what Saudi Arabia and, and anywhere yeah. they could really, fight in florida and Abu stuff. Dhabi. they did yeah. a lot of stuff in Abu Dhabi. Yeah. yeah yeah um so obviously you guys just bought wwe 
Yeah. You're a heel. Heels <laughs> tend to make some uh, some money, from what I understand. So I got to keep playing that shtick, I guess, and just make fun of every town I go to, which shouldn't <laughs> be a problem. No, I think you could find something bad about every single town. We're pretty good at it here in, in, in Philadelphia. Yeah, I got I got one question for you. I went to Lanzo Catholic. Are you? Okay. Do you know Jim Algio? Is that like? Is he related to you? Yeah, yeah it's my dad's uncle. Your dad's uncle. Okay. So yeah. if you got it, I mean. That man, anyone that doesn't know, 45-year you know, uh, football coach, legend of the game yep. and everything, you get all your grip strength from your, your great-uncle or your, your, dad's, your dad's uncle because <laughs> that dude at like 75 years old used to just grip up my friends at football practice and they were oh, going yeah? nowhere. Oh, shit. And that, we get it from, uh, man, his – so that would be what? His dad uh, was the same thing, Bill Algio or mm-hmm. William Algio. Um, he was the first Algie to come here from Ireland back in like early 1900s, I want to say. And man, that guy was just a unit. He would just uh, paint houses all day. So you, you have to, you know, back then you got to carry the paint up there with you. You got to be up and down on ladders all day. You know, so he, he just was strong and he lived until like 99 and he was still strong as hell. Walk to school. In snow, yeah. both ways, yeah. uphill. All that, man. I love yeah. that. <laughs> hey, Bill, I got one more for you. Um, you're you're 33. I mean, you've had a bunch of fights in your career. Uh, what, what what do you like? What's what's the next like year, two or three uh, look like for you? What's the what's the outlook look like? So I got one more fight left on my contract, and I, I want to see what I'm, I'm worth after that. Um, especially with some good post-fight uh, interviews, that, that always helps my case. And as long as I keep winning and keep getting finishes, that, that'll help as well. So we'll see. We'll see what they want to offer. And, uh, you know, I'm down to keep fighting, but I also have the gym that's doing well, so I don't, I don't need it. It's, it's more of just like a personal, like, all right, yeah, let's go. Let's go make some money. Let's go, you know, fuck somebody up. Yeah. And that fight night check's not too bad, isn't it? No, not at all. So I'll take that. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, hey, it's congrats. It's hard to say no to it. Yeah, right. Congrats, man. We, we'll, we'll keep following you and everything. We really appreciate you coming on and, and working with the technical troubles and everything. Um, yeah. Good luck out there. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks. Oh, peace. Good job, Peg, and we made it work. Well, you know, I'm sure all the uh, the local news channels will be batting down my door to uh, get me as a producer, you know, to really just be thinking on my feet. You, you do have to. I mean, it's live. Uh, it's a live broadcast here. You got to think as you go and come up with uh, solutions, you know. We'll so, do it fucking Mo- live, Kev. Mo Dog says uh, UFC 101. I think it was like 2011. That's when uh, Forrest Griffin ran out of the cage. Uh, it did, yeah, they hadn't had a UFC... <laughs> event at, at in in philly in like almost 10 years at that point is it can i ask why forrest griffin ran out of the cage did he run after some dude i'm not i don't really remember maybe mo dog can tell us in the comments here uh that's this is before i got into ufc you know all my friends uh from back in boyertown were like taekwondo kids so they were into ufc and they watched the fights and you know as we got older and it was and we were having kids and it was harder to get together like during the day and whatever to do stuff. Um, okay, Mo Dog says Anderson Silva took his soul, <laughs> so that's why he ran out of the cage, I guess. Um, but you know, we would always get together to watch UFC fights because they wouldn't start until fucking ten o'clock at night. And like, yeah. like, all right, well, yeah, we'll go down. We're not doing anything right now, so we'll go down and meet. We watch all the McGregor fights and um, and my my bachelor party actually. Believe it or not, we went to see Rage Against the Machine, and we came back and watched like UFC one ninety six. What do you mean, believe it or not? Of course, everyone on this program can believe that. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. So let's see Rage Against the Machine. And then we came back and watched uh, McGregor versus Diaz 2. 
and then I got dragged to the strip club and you know, the the rest is not important. Nice blurry from there. Yeah. The rest is, is uh, unimportant, but yeah, no, I, I, I do the joke, man. Cause like my three favorite sports right now are soccer, mixed martial arts and uh, college football. And yet I ended up running a four for four Eagle, uh, Eagles, Phillies, Flyers, Sixers blog. Mm-hmm. But, you know, speaking of the Flyers, by the way, um, yeah. Elliot Friedman, the Canadian insider who does the 32 thoughts uh, podcast and column uh, said what we've all been thinking and what we've all known to be true for a, a, a full year now is that if Connor Bedard went to the Philadelphia Flyers, it would be a huge win mm-hmm. for the National Hockey League, right? Because big franchise, big hockey town, right? Big fan base. Fuck yeah, they need a shot in the arm. Yeah, give us Connor Bedard, right? So, I mean, I think what Gary Bettman needs to do here is is to do the right thing and to eh, yeah, pull some strings behind the scenes, kind of make it work and kind of get Connor Bedard to to Philadelphia. So as, as, as part of writing that story yesterday, I uh, examined the other teams, Pagan, that are in the mix for Bedard. I'm going to read them to you and you tell me if you like them as a landing spot for Connor Bedard, okay? Mm-hmm. Anaheim Ducks. <laughs> Columbus Blue Jackets. <laughs> Chicago Blackhawks. All right. I mean, good hockey down. San Jose Sharks. <laughs> Montreal Canadiens. <laughs> Arizona Coyotes. I mean, that would be the worst thing possible. Washington Capitals. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Washington, fine. I mean, I don't want them because they're rivals, but. Detroit Red Wings. Okay. Yeah, that actually would be a really good spot. I, <laughs> I, saw, I saw a feeling that he's going to end up going to Chicago or Detroit. He's from Vancouver, and, and they're in the mix, too. St. Louis is in it all, all as well. But I think, like, for, for NHL purposes, Vancouver, Detroit, Chicago, Philly. Montreal is a huge I, team, but nobody down here gives a shit about the Canadians. I mean, of course they do in Canada, but, I, you know. You know Chicago's getting them. I mean, Gary Bettman did it for... Did it for the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins with Sidney Crosby. Yeah, he's gonna. Re- well, actually, you know, there was that whole NHL investigation with that whole you know sexual uh, assault stuff that got swept under the rug. So maybe Chicago won't get them. If you're really right, yes, it. you're talking about the Joel Quenneville yes. thing with uh, yeah Kyle. Why reward each? Yeah. Why reward that? So I, I think if you're if you're looking at it, Montreal, they just got like I feel like they just got a weren't they like the the bell of the ball? Weren't they like the number one seed a couple years ago? They already had their shot. Screw them. Yeah. I think Philadelphia is the next big one. Um, Philly fan wants to uh, he wants to run a, a a simulator, a flyer simulator. So I'll pull that up right now. And we'll, oh, we'll yeah, run, do a tankathon. Do a tankathon. We'll run yeah. one tankathon flyer simulator for him because he's been asking for two shows. He's been very patient. Uh, sim lottery going now. St. Louis Blues get the number Blues. one pick. Chicago, oh, number two. Anaheim, three. Columbus, four. San Jose, five. Montreal, six. Arizona, seven. Philadelphia, eight. St. Mm. Louis jumped. Wow, 3.5% chance they have, yeah. I ran it a bunch of times and kept ending up with Chicago, Anaheim, Columbus, obviously, you know. Yeah, Columbus. Columbus, Philadelphia, eighth again. Ugh. Do it, do it again. Hit it again. All right, third time's a charm. Montreal, number one. <laughs> the, the, we ran it. We ran it three times, and the Flyers have gotten the eighth spot each time. 
it's just a it's a uh, a look into the future. This is what the future holds for for Flyers. Protect the What yeah. the hell do they know? We'll try yeah. again Thursday. Yeah. Until we get it. Did you see? Uh, by the way, real quick, did, did you see that Hilferty was sitting next to a couple big wigs from the uh, Phillies and the and the Eagles at the game last night? I love this shit. It's interesting. I love it? watching yeah. Succession, watching Billions. Yeah. I love this shit. Just each yeah. other shooting daggers at each other. Letting yeah. Dan Hilferty, letting uh, Josh Harris know that, hey, you might have $7 billion you're sending over to the Washington Commies right now. But I got two guys next to me, the Eagles and the Phillies, two hottest teams in town right now. And we're going to build this complex up. We're going to build. And, and you could actually, yeah. if they don't do a stadium in Center City and they tell me that they'll build a complex up there that make it like kind of cool and everything, not just like a, a piss stained, a piss soaked uh, uh, parking lot. You could sell me on on the on the Sixers staying in the Wells Fargo yeah. Center, but obviously the Sixers would want at least half of that. So, yeah, it's just interesting because we've always thought of the arena thing as being like the Sixers versus Comcast, you know. But if Comcast mm-hmm. loops in the loops in the Phillies and the Eagles and says, "Hey, let's make like a super reimagined sports complex," then you're, you know, pulling in two other teams, and all of a sudden it becomes like the Sixers are fighting a war on like three different fronts. Well, not three different fronts, but. You know, you yeah. got the muscle muscle of the Eagles and the Phillies involved. I don't know. We'll see. It's I, mean, I find it very fascinating. Maybe other people don't, but and the, I, I find it fascinating. And with the mayor candidate, whoever comes in is going to be very important yeah. to see what happens in the future. There, um, yeah. I yeah. saw there's a pro, there's a protest from Chinatown out to uh, City Hall coming no. out. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll go down there and I'll I'll ask some people what they ask think. around. Yeah, yeah, a little, little man on the street action down there at the protest. Yeah. That will be. Yeah, I could go one of two ways. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that'd be fascinating. I think it would, I'd be, be very curious to see how it goes. Yeah, yeah. How indeed. No um, arena in Chinatown. So, you got anything else? No, no. I'm leaving for vacation on uh, Friday, so I'll be on the show on Thursday. Great. I appreciate yeah. that. And then you're stuck with, like, Ross or somebody next week. So. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, hey, that is the end of the show. Thank you to Craig on the ones and twos. I guess the name of... I guess the the date of the episode is wrong. Sorry, oh. Sean. Well, we're just winging it here, you know. I think we got enough out of Bill's uh, interview to do a couple social media clips, and then we'll just shelve shelve this one, shelf this one. Yep. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, hey, thanks to Bill yeah. Algier for coming on. That's a tough Taking one. A I got True Green, True Green coming out now to help with the weeds. So. All right. Well, I'm going to do the ending now. Is that okay? Suburban Dad. Yeah, I'm going to log off. <laughs> Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> All right. Thank you to Kev. Thank you to Craig. Thank you to Bill Algio for coming on. Thank you to you, the commenters, the fans, the listeners. Couldn't do this out yet. I'm going to talk to you on Thursday. Have the rest of the day.